Thank you for tuning in to the Faith Over Everything podcast, where we cover literally everything, whether it's pop culture, religion, politics, relationships, fashion and beauty, entertainment, or black culture. We are here to discuss it. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode available on all your favorite streaming platforms. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in um, to Faith Over Everything podcast. I truly appreciate all of my listeners for tuning in. Today, um, I have a special guest. I know all of my guests are very special to me, but I connected with this woman uh, via social media, and um, she has a story to tell, um, a story of survival in miracles, signs and wonders and testimony and just a story of really overcoming. And so I want to invite Letitia Franklin to the show. Thank you for coming. Thank you for sharing. Thank you so much for inviting me to share my my testimony. I feel that the Lord gives us these testimonies to share. So I appreciate that you allow me to partake in this wonderful program. Absolutely. So just start out by telling us a little bit more about um, where you're from and uh, where you live currently and a little bit more about what you do. Well, I grew up on the south side of Chicago, actually in London Townhouse. I currently, however, reside in the beautiful city of Markham, Illinois, with my wonderful husband, who I have been blessed to be with for 24 years as a couple, 21 years married. Uh, We are the parents of six children that we have given birth to and claimed on our taxes, but we we are the pseudo parents or parent figures for about 10 other children. And that they've either lived in our home or we were their safe home. Uh, So currently I serve as a commissioner for the city of Markham with the planning and zoning board. So we are the board that are responsible for bringing in new business and approving the business and ensuring that the zoning laws of the city are followed by residents and businesses alike. I am a stay at home mother. I currently have seven young people living with us uh, and I homeschool Directly homeschooled three little ones, a first grader and two fourth graders, which are my seven-year-old daughter and our nine-year-old, or, I'm sorry, nine and a half, they will correct me, nine and a half-year-old twin <laughs> daughters. And I supervise and provide support to two young men that are finishing their high school careers with me. So that's pretty wow. right now. <laughs> okay, that was a mouthful, um, especially when you got to talking about your children and yes. the children you've raised. And so have you always been a stay-at-home mom or have you worked and juggled, done both or? I've done both. I have been everything from and starting my journey. I was the executive assistant to the purchasing director of the largest hotel in Chicago. Then I became a stay-at-home mom when it became apparent that my income was not going to pay for quality daycare. Right. So I stayed home. And through my time of staying home and being a stay-at-home mom, I volunteered in many capacities. One of them being I volunteered with uh, my park district, the Markham Park District, where I went from being a volunteer to becoming the executive director of that park district. Wow. After my time with Markham Park District, I stayed home for a little while with the twin daughters who were born at 35 weeks. So they need a little more assistance. And after they were nice and stable, I became the executive director of the Riverdale Park District. Wow. So move from your city girl and then move to the suburbs. And it seems like you really, really got involved in your community. Yes. So that's that's really cool. Um how was um, kind of growing up for you in, in the city of Chicago? Oh, it was fabulous. I, my mother and father are high school sweethearts. So to this day, my oh, dad still, re- yes, to this day, he still refers to my mother as his girlfriend. And so, of course, as a <laughs> child, you just said, up to like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> now, as a wife, I understand. Right. I clearly understand. Yes. You know, and Absolutely. I... I proudly say I'm spoiled. 
And when I had actually, as a young, as a teenager, I brought it up to my dad. I'm like, you know, this guy said I'm spoiled. And he said, well, you are. That's my job. I said, huh? He said, my job is to spoil you so that the man worthy of taking you out of my house will spoil you more than I do. That's right. Fortunately, I met that guy 24 years ago. So it's been great. <laughs> now, what high school are your both your parents from Chicago? What high school did they, they attend? If so? they, they attended South Shore High School together. Oh, nice. Nice. My aunt, um, several people in my family, they attended South Shore as well. See, cool. do you, you might you might know some you might know a cousin or something. It, it's my possible. Dad, my dad is one of there were 13 of them. Wow. He's one of 13. So you very well, an auntie, a cousin or somebody could have very well <laughs> been in school with one of my aunt's cousins or cousins. Nice. And then what high school did you attend? I attended High Park Career Academy. Okay. I would have been class of 93, um, but I made some different decisions with my life. And I ended up graduating from Olive Harvey Middle College, okay. where I was third in my class by a hundredth of a tenth of a percentage. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. But during that time, I actually partnered with a classmate of mine and we wrote and produced a play that was performed on stage. And that was a really wonderful experience. And actually, a lot of my work in regards to being a planner and organizer really was fostered through my work at Olive Harvey Middle College, where I planned as a senior, I planned the high school senior trip where we went to several historically black colleges through the South. Nice. Nice. Yes. Was Tennessee State University one of those colleges? Which one? Tennessee State University in Nashville. We did not make it to Tennessee. We did. We went to Alabama. That's okay. We didn't make it to Tennessee. (laughs) That's okay. I had to ask because I'm a proud TSU alum. That's actually how I was exposed to the school through a okay. college tour. Yeah. So we went on a college tour mm-hmm. and yeah, so that's awesome. Okay. Well, I want us to move a little bit forward because okay. I know you mentioned a lot about, you know, walking, being a walking, living testimony. Tell us a little bit about when that started happening for you and um, different situations that you gone, that wow. you've gone through in your life. <laughs> there are several and I'll condense as many as I can. The first one, I honestly would say it would be with my husband. Um, you know how we, as we were dating and meeting different people, I realized that the reason my relationships were not going the way they were supposed to was because it was out of order. And I said, you know, you said he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor. So I need to stop looking for folks. It's not my job. My job That's is to be found. So get me right. So that when my king, when the head of my household shows up, I can, I'm ready to be found. So a couple of weeks later, maybe three, four weeks later, a friend of someone I had been uh, keeping company with, as I state, <laughs> came by because apparently he had a crush on me and I didn't know. But he didn't have a car, so he needed this other gentleman to bring him. And that other gentleman happens to be the man I'm currently married to. <laughs> and... <laughs> We, he called, and my prayer was very simple. I said, Lord, whoever it is, make it plain for the slow lane. Have them go from being nowhere to everywhere. I'm going to be real. And after we met, suddenly I saw him in various locations that just, I didn't pay much attention to. Then he called me about two weeks later and he asked me out. And I called the person that was the mutual friend to let them know. And they was like, how you gonna go out with one of my boys? I said, I wasn't necessarily asking for your permission. I'm just letting you know. And he stated, he said, you know, he said, remember sometimes we'll be just chilling and I look at you and be like, you'll be a really good lady for my guy, Corey. I was like, yeah, I met Corey. I'm not, a, I was like, I'm offended. And he was like, no, 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 not that person. He was like, I call Cornelius Corey. I always thought you would be a good woman for him. Okay. So I still hesitated. And as clearly as I'm talking to you, I heard the Lord say, nowhere, everywhere. And all of a sudden, my mind started remembering all of these random places I saw him or I would call and he would be there or he'd be leaving or something. We accept, I accepted the date. We went out, told him the whole history of everything and everyone. And he said, who you know, what you know, who you did, what you did before tonight doesn't matter to me. Last Monday, we celebrated 
24 years since that one, that first date. Wow, that's awesome. So yeah. how old were you when you came to this epiphany of, was, hey, I need to stop searching. I need to be found. Like, what was that? I how were you? 20 years old. That was young. Okay. I was 21. I was 20. Okay. I've been with him since so I was 20. I was 21 years old. Awesome. You know, and it was a wonder. And I see now how those steps became necessary for the foundation of our marriage. Um, another uh, testimony is you're looking at someone who clearly sees you and the beautiful artwork you have in your home, who in 2009 was blind. Mm, wow. One day, um, I wear glasses. I, I've worn glasses since I was probably 11 years old, so no, no big deal. And I woke up and my vision was just a little blurry, a little spotty. And I just thought it was time to get new glasses. So made an appointment for my eyes to get examined, went to that purse, that doctor, and we had been patients of hers for probably about 10 years at that point. So we knew each other very well. And she said, you know, whatever's going on, it's not your vision. There's something going on with your optic, uh, with your um, optic nerve. You need to see a ophthalmologist to get that taken care of. I just happened to have one of my doctors was an opt, was an ophthalmologist, uh, ophthalmologist. There's like a combination of a neurologist and an ophthalmologist mm-hmm. from a situation that I had been healed from years ago. So I called to make an appointment, and he works one day a week. So you make appointments months out. Right. Made the appointment, no big deal, not thinking anything of it. A few days went by. I went to go take my sons to school. I came outside of our little home area, and I went to make a right turn on red. And I know it was nothing but God that guided at the time, which was a 2001 Ford Expedition, onto the traffic where I did not injure, kill anybody, including myself, because I turned right into oncoming traffic. Woo. Right. I was like, Lord, be my be my vision, be my eyes, get these babies to school and get me someplace safe. My children at the time went to school in South Holland, Illinois, which mm-hmm. is east on 159th Street. Got them to, got them to school, got me to my office, because I at the time worked at the Markham Park District. And my husband um, told me, you know, I'll meet you at home because he was at work. My best friend met me up there and she was like, follow me home. And I'm like, yeah, that's cute. You got a Malibu. I have an expedition. This ain't, she was like, you trust him. We'll get there. Long story short, got to the emergency room. They tried to say it was a condition called pseudotumor cerebri, intracranial hypertension that had flared back up. I knew that wasn't the case because I didn't have the symptoms of it outside of this supposed couldn't see. Because if I was looking straight ahead, I could see somebody looking dead at me. Got to the emergency right. room at the University of Chicago. My ophthalmologist had me do a peripheral fields test. I had zero peripheral vision. He then wow. admitted me. Yeah, he, and that's why I didn't see the cars coming. Because think about it, when you're driving, you never turn all the way to your left. Right. You kind of glance at the corner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you have zero peripheral vision, you won't see anything. Right. But I could see clearly straight ahead of me, which is why I didn't even notice it. So I got admitted into the hospital after they did an MRI. And so I had lesions on my brain. I didn't know I was being admitted, though, until we left the MRI and the nurse says, your husband's in the room. And I'm like, okay, great. And instead of going to the waiting room, she went to the elevator. I'm like, what are we doing? She said, baby, they didn't tell you. You've been admitted. And that's the last thing I consciously remember. Everything I know after that is because I was told. I did not, I had no idea that my husband, who is approximately six foot four, about 290, slept on the floor of that hospital room for the week I was hospitalized. They gave me every initial test. I say the MRI, the EKG, the CAT, the LMNOP. I had all of them. (laughs) And when it was all said and done, my vision had deteriorated to the point where I could see light, but I couldn't see any details or anything like that. I would know something was there because light was blocked, not because I could make out any details. Okay, let me interrupt you really, really quick. I want to go back to this. You're in traffic with your babies on your way to take your babies to school and you're on your way to work. Mm-hmm. At 
that moment, you're saying that's when you lost your, your vision or that's when you lost your peripheral. The it's, peripheral. The peripheral vision when I made okay. that right turn onto incoming yes. traffic. I wasn't aware, mm -hmm. though, that my peripheral vision was gone because, as I said, I'm looking straight ahead. I still see everything. So I didn't have any okay. knowledge. So straight on, you see. Straight on, I could see. I had no peripheral, but I wasn't aware of that until I got, got to the hospital a week okay. later. Well, no, actually, it was the next day. I got to the hospital because they got me in on an emergency basis. And I got in got and okay. did the peripheral fields test. I had zero peripheral mm -hmm. vision, which led for him to book me to do an MRI, which Get is where they it. saw the lesions on my brain, yes. which is what had them admit me to figure out why. Why, why, do, why do you have these, in essence, a lesion is a deterioration of your, of your nerves, the coding on the nerves and the neur your neurons in your brain. So I had the coding of my nerves my, uh, and my brain was gone. So it was like mm -hmm. little holes. Wow. wow. But they're yeah. trying to figure that out, which is what led to me being hospitalized and all of the testing. And the, I guess the development of that is what led to me no longer having clear vision. I could see, like I said, I can only see light. So if mm. you were to stand in front of me, I would know something was there because light was blocked, but I wouldn't be able right. to make any details or anything like that. How long were you in this blind state of being? About eight months. And during that time, were you being treated at all? Did they say? Oh, definitely. Okay. Oh, definitely. They sent me home with a, quote, pseudo diagnosis of you either have one or two things. You either have scarcidosis, which is what killed Bernie Mac, um, Devic's disorder, which was fatal, or mm. multiple sclerosis. Wow. We're basically trying to figure out which one it is. Mm -hmm. You can go home now. That's kind of how. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's how that, and as time developed and various other symptoms supposedly manifested, they determined, well, my neurologist determined it was multiple sclerosis. Okay. My neuro-ophthalmologist said it was sarcoidosis, a sarcoid rather. I said, well, you two can argue it out. I'm going to stand in faith of a mustard seed. I don't have either one of these things, but y'all fight it out. Mm -hmm. That was in 2009. Well, I was diagnosed in 2010, so 11 years ago that diagnosis came through. And mm. I was, I had nurses that came to my house. I had, I, I had a pick line I, and I still was working. So I would go to work with a pick line in my arm. Somebody from the park district would come and pick me up and bring wow. me to work. And I would have a pick line in my arm. I would leave and take an hour long lunch, come home and they would infuse me with whatever highly toxic treatment that was observe me for 20 minutes, and then I'd go back to work. So how were you working and not being able to see? I had a staff. I had staff at that point. Okay. So I was the face of the park district in respect of their um, front desk. So I would be there just to greet people because I could hear them come in. Someone would always be there to say, you know, Mrs. Franklin, someone so so and so is here today, da, 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 da. So I had, I will say I had a fantastic staff and fantastic volunteers and family. I had a cousin, God rest her soul, that she literally just came up there and she was like, I'll be your assistant until we get this together. Wow. And she came up there pretty much every day and just sit up there with me because she knew I needed somebody I could trust. Yeah. And so she would be there with me on a daily basis. And as it progressed and I became the director of the park district, there were times where we had what's called an open gym. So it would be a gym full of men there and I'm there. And my husband at the time was no longer, he at that time was in uh, construction plumbing. Mm -hmm. And that was right in the midst of that great housing debacle where everybody was losing their homes. There was mm -hmm. no business. Chicago had petitioned to get the Olympics and we did not get it. So now there was no mm -hmm. real construction, so he was off. But I see all of that as God's timing because since he was off, he was with me every day. And he wasn't sitting in my face or anything like that. He would just be the presence in the building. If you didn't know him, you wouldn't right. know that he was my husband or anything. You would have thought he was just staff. But he made his presence known so that 
I never was concerned that anything would be wrong. For your safety. Yeah, that too. Yeah. You know, so. As I so said, you all did that for how long? Whew, my vision, yeah, probably almost a year. Almost a year. Okay. And then one day it just came back or did it gradually? It, gradually, it was a gradual progression okay. and gradually improved. Um, there was one time when we were getting together at church and I made out one of my friends. She got like right here, very, very close to me, but I could make her out. And I was like, no, that was Lisa. I saw her. And my husband just looked at me and smiled. And I was like, no, for real, for real. I promise you, I could have seen it. And he said, God blurred your vision so you could see him clearly. And in the midst of that, reflecting on that statement, I realized I had been trying to leave the park district and find another job for some time. And lo and behold, not only was I kept being denied, I kept being denied because my true purpose was to stay there and become the director of that so, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's one. My daughters, for man, I went into preterm labor at 30 weeks with my twins, who in and of themselves are a miracle because I in essence got pregnant twice. Wow. Super flutatious pregnancy. And apparently, when you are of what they call advanced maternal age. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> uh, hello. And that's just the, your body can release more than one egg. And they got imp- they got impregnated, implanted at separate times. So the first, because of my medical history now that you know of, mm-hmm. and my advanced maternal age, when I called to say I had a positive pregnancy test, I got, they had me in there within days to do a internal ultrasound. Because they were already looking like, okay, she's on these different medications. We got to see was this a viable pregnancy and all of that. And it was my husband's first day at work. So he couldn't go with me. So my best friend's wife, who is a doctor, went with me. Mm-hmm. And she called it out. She said, this is my goddaughter. You didn't gave me all these boys because I have three older sons. Mm-hmm. This, this one right here, this baby, this mine. This my little girl. And they... Too early to determine gender, but they said it was a viable pregnancy. The baby was fine. They saw a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. As a doctor, she said she saw a heartbeat. They warned me I might have a little spotting um, because it was an internal ultrasound and I was early in a pregnancy. And, you know, they just be aware of that. So when it happened a few days later, it was a little heavier than... They, they anticipated it would be, so they had me come back. This time they gave me the last appointment of the day because they thought I was miscarrying. Mm-hmm. They didn't say it, but they were like, you know, we think it'd be better if your husband comes with you. Okay. We get there. The technician does a standard abdominal ultrasound. And she starts getting a little nervous. And she goes, uh, well, um, yeah, I see you were just here, like, what, almost two weeks ago? I was like, yeah, she said, uh, and you had an internal um." Oh, okay, you know, I, I'm going to be back. She grabs the files and she leaves for about 15, 20 minutes. What we now know, <laughs> is she took it to the head of radiology to find out, was this other baby there? We literally just missed it. Right. Baby wasn't there, apparently, or not enough to be discovered. Right. So she came back, did another internal ultrasound by this time we're talking and conversing and she was like you have a large family and I was like yeah my father has about 12 brothers and sisters my mother I think has about 20 or something like that she was like wow 20 I said yeah they were in the south two different families they didn't have much to do so they made babies (laughs) and she was like oh so twins running your family oh they actually they don't she said wait they don't I said no she pushed the button she said well, they do now. And the two heartbeats popped up. And wow. as, they, as they charted my pregnancy, they saw that one baby was approximately a week behind developmentally. Uh, so when I went into labor at 30 weeks, my doctor was like, okay, you're going to be admitted because you don't understand the meaning of bed rest with the three boys at home. You won't do it. Right. So put me in the hospital. And he knew it. And they put me in a hospital, which I was absolutely fine with because it felt like a vacation for me. Stay at home with <laughs> three busy boys. Right. I was fine with this. You know, right. like I sleep in my own bed. I don't have to share the TV, the computer, the nothing. 
Right. This is lovely. It's all about perspective. Let's right. Perspective, you know, so I lived there for five weeks and they felt that as they always called her baby B, that would be the second baby, her umbilical cord became compromised. So they delivered me at 35 weeks. And Abigail, who is my baby A, named after my beautiful cousin that would come to the park district with me all the time. Um, she was four pounds, six ounces. Monica was three pounds, six ounces, mm-hmm. exactly one pound apart. And according to, to man and according to the medical history, they should have all kind of issues. You know, mm-hmm. they have none. I homeschool because when they were four, I tried to get them in preschool so I could have a break because I had a new baby at home. Mm-hmm. And they told us that they were too smart to attend the preschool program. Oh, wow. So what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> hey, guys, I'm Shari. And I'm Sharice. And we are the Optimistic Divorcees, two happily divorced women who are optimistic about life, but real about love. Catch our new podcast on your favorite podcast platform with new episodes dropping every Monday where we talk about life, love, and everything in between. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Opt Divorcees. That's T-H-E-O-P-T-D-I-V-O-R-C-E-E-S. Bye! Could you have taken them somewhere else or was that possible? No. I live in a suburb. You have a special school. There is no open without unless you do unless you do private route exactly, and then it became that which costs money. Do I go back to work specifically Mm -hmm. to pay for private school, and you still have a baby at home? So now we're going to be out of close to thirty thousand dollars a year for this, and. Time went on and I made a partnership with a young lady that had started kind of her own private school. And we went through that. By the time my children were five, the twins were five, they were reading at second grade level with comprehension. Mm -hmm. So here comes kindergarten. I asked the kindergarten teacher like, hey, what's your curriculum? What are you doing? And she was excited and I'm happy for her. But she talked about word walls and number recognition. I was like, that's good. Uh, except my twins are reading second grade level books with comprehension and they're doing multiplication. So what do you got for them? Nothing. Right. So my husband looked at me and he was like, I said, I'm about to do this myself. He said, you want to? I said, yeah. He said, then I got you. And that man took the room that he had put together to make into his man cave and built me a fully functional wired classroom. Awesome. By himself, and the five, and that's after the five weeks that I lived in a hospital, giving you know waiting for his children to to get uh, cooked a little bit more per se. He built a bathroom in our master bedroom because he said, "I don't want you to have to take one, one step further than necessary to take care of yourself." So hmm. yeah, I like him. Come people. on, Mister. I like Come him. On, he's good people. I'm telling you, he's good people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, so how was the transition from, you know, having your boys being in school to becoming a teacher, mom, and everything else? I mean, you know, at the home. The boys honestly finished. They fin- They were in school. They were done. So I wasn't pulling them out. You know, I let them finish mm-hmm. out. Two of them graduated from traditional high school. And my youngest son, for medical reasons, he left. So he's one of the young men that's finishing high school at home. Um, he okay. is a, he's an entrepreneur. He's starting his own streaming service and photo uh, video editing company. So he's kind of doing a multitude of different things and all of that. And with my husband, honestly, being a plumber, I was open to it because one thing that was always taught and focused on a lot from what I saw in our community, especially when you got to go to college, you got to go to college. The only Mm -hmm. way to make it is to go to college. And to the point that I had a young lady that actually questioned when we were getting married, how would I possibly marry someone who did not have a college degree and raise a family? What? They were in school to be an attorney. So they were feeling all of that. And I was like, sweetheart, everybody's not going to be Johnny Cochran and make Johnny Cochran money. A public defender is going to make about $30,000. 
I said, my husband is currently in school, in trade school to be a plumber. And while he's in school, he's making more than that right now while he's Mm -hmm. in school. When Mm -hmm. he gets out, he's going to be making more than double that. So what are we saying? But in our minds, that's the only thing that was correct Mm -hmm. was, you know, this grammar school, high school, college. Right. And I see the disconnect in that. Because the way that this world has changed, I mean, for crying out loud, if my son who needed to leave school, he's now free to go into his own entrepreneurial shit mm-hmm. and do what he wants to do. There's no student loans with that, you know, yes. or anything. And our daughters, they literally just sat here one day, like, oh, my, look at this. And they have composed music, self-taught. They have taught themselves animation. It's just, I'm like, okay, well, what are we doing now? Oh, well, today we're going to make slime. So we're going to measure this all out and do this. Okay, let's make slime. So that freedom really was free for me because I didn't feel obligated that I had to make sure they did this, that, and the other. I was able to take what they were interested in and grow that. We can go to the grocery store and I can make that a whole lesson. That can be a lesson on shopping. That's a budget. That's math. Mm-hmm. Learning about where the various foods are coming from. That can be geography. That can be history. So it's a multitude of different ways that that can be incorporated. And once I realized that, it was so freeing. Mm-hmm. I don't have to fight with my daughters at seven o'clock in the morning to get them up, to get them dressed, to get them on the bus, to get them anywhere. I don't. Yeah. You know, if we that's we, that's what's been kind of refreshing since COVID. Yeah, um, yeah, I can imagine. Somewhat refreshing, yes. From the hustle, you kind of used to being, you know, in a hustle and bustle yes. and going from here to there to just having to be still. And yes. um, I embraced that part of Hello. the journey. Hello. Yeah, I embraced that a little bit because I mean, I mean, we just stay busy, you know, mm-hmm. all the time. So that part of COVID was refreshing. Um, but I think that's amazing how you just pivoted and because I don't know that I would have, I don't think that's my gift or strength. And that was also the struggle part of COVID me having to kind of homeschool and sit here with my daughter. Um, everybody isn't able to do that. So I really applaud you for that. That's amazing. How you just jumped in was like, Hey, but that's what mamas do. That's right. That's what I said. That's, That's what we do. You know, the problem was, you said my daughters can't come to your school in the current program because they're not fitting your box. So I got to. I got to do something different. I can't. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to reduce them to your box. Exactly. If you're not willing to expand your box, then they can't be there. Exactly. It's a beautiful thing. I'd be quite honest. They have taught me so much. That's also the beauty of it as well, because. You really get to build on that natural curiosity that children have. It's not stifled at my mm-hmm. home. When they want to know yes. something, they we go look it up. I will sit up here mm-hmm. and out of the midst of nowhere to get. So why is it thunderstorms here in Chicago, but in New York right now it's snowing? What is a thunder snow? Well, let's mm-hmm. look that up, you know? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> let's out together, because I don't know yeah. either. <laughs> you yeah. know? And I think also, that's also a great part of having kids. Like you do learn so yes, much, right? Yes. Seeing the world through their eyes. Yes. And sometimes my daughter asks me things. I'm like, I don't know. I need to look yeah. that up. Because they, one of my, my twins, they had a real wonderful observation. They said, mommy, when, cause they have friends that are in public school. So they said, mommy, when you were in school, was it like their friends? You're like, was it like when Brandon went to school? I said, yeah, pretty much. Like, was it like that when grandma and me went to school? I was like, what do you mean? It's like, did you have to be there at the same time every day? And y'all did the same thing and all of that? I was like, yeah, pretty much. It was like, well, with the world that's changed the way that it's always changed, how do they expect kids to be ready for the new world if they keep doing things the same old way? Well, I said, well, hello. Out of the mouth of babes. How can, well, hello. I just looked at it like, wow, okay. Okay, nine-year-old. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> she said it was just such curiosity. Like that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. If we keep if y'all if we keep doing stuff the same way, how would anybody be ready to do anything different? That's true. And I 
do think, well, for one, kind of going back to you saying, talking about college, college is not the route for everybody. It's not. It's not. We know, and we've seen so many successful millionaires and billionaires who do not have a college degree. At all. Some what they don't do have, have a high school diploma. The, yeah, exactly that too. But what they had is an internal drive, mm-hmm. a motivation. Yes. They were inspired by something. They were relentless in their pursuit of their passion. Yes. So college isn't the end all to be all. I mean, it's I enjoyed not. going. I don't regret going. But hey, it does not make a break if you're going to be no. successful in life at right. all. Right. Or yeah. be able to raise a family. Absolutely. I literally, the person that decided to step away from the wedding 20 plus years ago, recently reconnected with her and she kind of was shocked. She's like, oh, you are stay at home mom? I was like, yes, sweetheart, I, I am. And it's okay. You know, she sounds like she needs to stay away. You ain't have to reconnect with her. You know what? It was a lack of knowledge. It's a lack (laughs) of knowledge because, and I will say that it it took growth for me to get there, to be honest. Oh, trust me. It took growth. It it sounds very ignorant though. But but if that, if you, again, that's the lack of knowledge. If you don't know, if you never had around anybody who was a stay-at-home parent, that's not your life. Everybody ever told you was you had to go to college. That's the only way for you to be successful. You come from that kind of thought process. It is a lack of knowledge if you don't have that experience. I, so, I agree, but to some degree, it's like, okay, do you live in a cave though? Because if you see people, you have to know. Not that, necessarily. Oh, that's it. Okay. Well. And the only reason I say that is because of this particular situation. I got it. I understand. That, that was that understand. experience. But I'm with you. I'm like, how do you not? But then again, if you don't know either. Yeah. If you I don't get know, it. yeah, that lady could be a stay-at-home mother. You just don't know it because you mm-hmm. don't know her well enough for her to have to yeah. do anything like that. You yeah. just see her at the church or the store or whatever. So yeah. her idea of a stay-at-home mom is a level of achievement like when she found out you were a stay at her mom was she surprised like oh yeah I am a stay at home mom my husband provides for me was that the shock and all or is that why she surprised it was surprised that because he again doesn't have the college of his occupation and right Mm -hmm. and not and not again not knowledge people don't realize you said, I saw a joke on Facebook and it was like, the teacher always told us if we didn't do our work or didn't study well, we'd be, end up the garbage man. The teacher didn't tell us that the garbage man make more than her. Yeah, exactly. My husband's a union plumber. So he makes and they money. make good money. Yes, they do. Amen. Praise Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why I can be home. You know? Right. Yeah. But if you don't know that, if in your brain, the only way to make those six figure incomes is to have mm-hmm. that college degree behind you. You know, and I think once when that connection happened, she wasn't she was surprised, but ready to learn. So it wasn't a how is that the case? It was good. Really? That's why I said I think it's more of a lack of exposure. If all you know is everybody got to go to college. If you don't go to college, you go to a trade and the only trade, you know, that hairstylist, nail technician. Yeah, yeah. It it might be beyond your comprehension uh, because you just don't know. You haven't been exposed. You just These don't know. tradesmen make good money. So I don't sleep on to trades. To go. I promise you, all these young men in my life and young women, I'm like, look here. You do know that the plumbing hall is currently taking applications. You do know that the electricians are currently taking applications. Yeah, it's There's some money. opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, they, and this, the model of Local 130 of the plumber's trade is the truth. The plumber protects the health of the nation. Dirty water will kill the whole community. That's true. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, you not only have a skill, you have a skill that in the midst of a pandemic is more crucial than anything. That's very true. Very, very true. It never, it will never, people will never not need a plumber or an electrician or some other trades out here. We'll always need those people. Always need them. So Mm -hmm. thankfully I married one, so I'm good. It works out well. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night. I'm Dana, a.k.a. DanaMike781 across the social medias, and I am here to tell you about my podcast that is currently streaming on your favorite listening platform. It's called This Should Be in a Book. People often tell me that the things I say should be in a book, but I didn't want to write a book. 
So I decided to release my knowledge podcast style. New episodes are available every Monday, and you'll be able to listen to my insight on this thing called life, three points into poem style, minus the poem. (laughs) So after you finish listening to this podcast, head on over to This Should Be in a Book to listen and subscribe. Hope you enjoy. So tell us, let's move into, um, as we kind of get ready to wrap up a little bit, Mm -hmm. how you've opened your home to so many children. I mean, did you ever see yourself doing this as, you know, younger as a child or is this a new discovery for you? Because it seems like raising kids, you have six children of your own. You've raised other children. Tell us a little bit about the other children or the other teens that you've raised. You know, it's, it was something, it was something I saw my parents do. My parents took in different family members at various times. My friends considered my parents their parents. I mean, to the fact of the young lady I was just talking to you about that separated from the whole wedding, she still mm-hmm. would go by and visit my parents. My parents still considered her their daughter. I mean, it is what it is. So that right. I, grew up, I grew up seeing that. And it became kind of clear and apparent with the various relationships and friendships that my children developed that the one thing that unfortunately seemed to be more consistent than not was the lack of this type of family relationship. There wasn't a mother and a father, or if it was, it wasn't a, you know, it might be a little challenging and things of that nature. So our goal is if we have a home and you need one, we'll take you. It's it's just that simple because we've not only taken in children. At one point, there were 16 people living in this house and my husband was the only one working. And there was a young lady that I had went to grammar school with and we were not friends in grammar school. We knew each other, but we weren't our friends. She had a situation. We took her and her children in. I had a cousin that came here and needed a place. Her and her daughter came. I met a young woman (laughs) helping her sister uh, get on the bus to go back to Milwaukee or something. And through the friendship and the relationship, I became like a big sister to that young woman. And I took her and her daughter in. And at one point, they're like 15 wow. people. And it's just... It's so like, wait a minute, back up, back up. Yeah. <laughs> so your husband never said no? No. He didn't. Mm. The only, I re, let me rephrase and let me correct myself. There was never a no, there was a observation. So we never shut anyone from coming in. But if he observed that that person was not of good intent, then he just immediately dismissed that they could come. So it wasn't even a no, it was more of a, you know, if the Lord means for them to be here, they will be. And if they're not supposed to be here, they won't be. And they won't. And they weren't. It was like really that simple. But we like we have two young men that live with us now. My oldest child, our oldest child is married. He's gone. He got a wife, a beautiful grand sugar, my my grandbaby, and my beautiful daughter-in-law. So him gone. Mm-hmm. But I have two other young men that stay here with me now, and they needed a safe place mm-hmm. to get grounded, to figure out how they wanted to proceed and go forward in their life. So what am I going to do? I can't sleep well knowing that you're on the street. Mm. It's just that simple. And if that's the option, if we don't take you, you might not have a home. Literally, I cannot allow that to be the case. I can't. And neither can my husband. And that's why we are who we are together. Yeah. That's why. I agree with that. Yep. I agree with that. That is awesome because so many people aren't like that <laughs> and um we get you know, that a lot <laughs> we get that a yeah lot. that's I mean that's crazy and I believe that's also why God blesses you and has blessed you the way he has and you have those testimonies because whoo I mean that is amazing uh to just open up your doors like that like oh you need a home okay we got you come on in yeah to your family, to your intimate space, because our home is our haven, it's right? Our haven. So, yeah. yeah. So to open your doors up, it takes a special type of uh, human to to do that. Blessings, I appreciate that. But that's that's how I feel. I said my CEO is God. That's who I work for. <laughs> and so, 
if that's who I work for, then I, I'm always on assignment. And I, my prayer always is, Lord, let me be used for your glory. If it's not for me to do, then get me out the way. Because there's been some people that they've wanted or need or felt they needed to come to us and it wasn't our assignment. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't, you know, and that's the only way that I can function. You know, like I said, if I know if I turn my back on my assignment, then I'm blocking my blessing. Mm. And so I let's talk about how you hear from God. Since you you know you talk a lot about your mm-hmm. relationship with God and how you're in tune with him. Is it an audible voice? How do you generally get the direction regarding what you're supposed to be doing in your life from God? It depends. It changes. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. it's literally an audible voice. Like I said, when the whole thing about me accepting the date with Cornelius, that was as mm-hmm. clear as I'm talking to you. I heard it like, oh, what was that? You know, sometimes <laughs> it's just it's just a feeling, you know, a, a pull to do something. Sometimes it comes from someone else and it'll be something I may have thought of, but then I receive a confirmation. confirmation from somebody yeah. who has no idea what I'm thinking because mm-hmm. I haven't discussed anything with them about it. And they'll come and have that conversation with me. And I'm like, huh, okay, Jesus, I got you. Check, okay. And always I refer to my head. I always converse with him about it. And that'll sometimes be the difference between me acting on my emotions yeah. Versus acting on the assignment. How would you encourage someone who struggles with hearing from God? I know um, there's no telling who's listening, right? Or, or right. who will be listening um, and tuning into this show. So to hear you constantly talk about, well, God told me this and I heard this. And there are a lot of people who do not experience that or have not experienced that. And some who may want to, how would you encourage them to be able to tap into God and hearing him more clearly? You have to be quiet. You have to get quiet. And by that, I don't mean just a physical silence. You have to silence your mind. You have to take that time to really get into his word because his word does not return void. So I make it a point before I step a foot out of the bed, I do Bible study every day. I make it my point. I honestly, I start my day by doing my Bible study. I end my night by just playing the word of God in my ears. I go to sleep and I surround myself that way because I'm still human and I'm a mama of a bunch of people that I'm here with all day long. So there are times when I'm not hearing him because I'm in my head like, okay, they're getting on my nerves. If they don't get this man problem right, Ooh, we, mm-hmm. I have to make myself get centered so that I can get quiet enough to hear. Yeah. And I don't say this as someone that, you know, yeah, the Lord been talking to me and I've been hearing from him since I was two and a half years old. No, <laughs> you know, but as time has come, I've become more in tune with him in many respects. I felt like he's garnered my attention. You know, when the Lord takes your vision, right? So you can't do nothing but rely on him. I know I'm a testimony because I trusted in him and not in man. Because see, according to man, I should be either in a wheelchair right now. I should be crippled. I should still be blind. There's a litany of issues I should have right now. Mm-hmm. But I refuse to let that doctor even speak it on me. When he says, how's your MS? I tell him, I must have seen the faith get bigger every time I see you, baby. How you doing? Because I'm fine. <laughs> fine. So not multiple sclerosis, but my mustard seed of mustard faith. Seed. Okay. That's what I have. Now, okay. That's awesome. So it's not you because some some people can listen to you say that and say, well, come on, she's not being realistic. Do you have an actual diagnosis or is that like, do you have symptoms from that? Do you have a diagnosis? How does that work? That is a di- no. They literally diagnosed me with multiple sclerosis in 2010. That okay, is- but you do not have any symptoms or anything. Nothing. Awesome. Not only do I not have any symptoms, my vision not only was fully restored, my vision was better than it was before I lost it. Mm. So, you know, I, I don't <laughs> have that A symptom because, see, God heals a complete healing. And I stand in that healing. 
you know, so when they tried to diagnose me initially at the emergency room and it was like, oh, that's your intracranial hypertension. I was like, nope, been delivered from that. I know that's not it. And of course, I sound a little crazy to medical professionals when I'm saying, mm-hmm. no, the Lord healed me. We're to non-believers, right? Exactly. And they were like, yeah. no. But I said, okay, let me break down. And the Lord gave me all the terminology to use when I broke down how that wasn't the case because I didn't have the symptom. I didn't have the headache. I didn't have the double vision. I didn't have the pain in my shoulder. All of these different things. They were like, oh. I was like, so as I stated, that's not it. Something else is going on. And so when I got that diagnosis, trust. And it wasn't immediate that I was like, oh, the mustard seed. No, I mm-hmm. cried. I broke a door down. I had that breakdown you had moment. a moment, yeah. I, flesh first. Mm-hmm. So I did. I fell to my flesh like, oh, what do you mean? I can't see. What do you mean I have multiple sclerosis? That thing, kid. what are you talking about? I have kids. Right. And I, I couldn't tell my sons apart initially because I couldn't see them. So the only way I was able to learn which child I was talking to was I had to learn how the light was blocked, the difference in the height or how much light was blocked, basically. That's how I was like, mm-hmm. okay, that's CJ. He's taller than Nikki. Okay. And that that's how I had to make them out. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, this, this can't work. And I had made a whole post about it. We're going to be strong through multiple sclerosis, da, da, da. And the, the devil was like, yeah, write all of that. And the Lord, as clearly as I'm talking to you now, was like, erase that. I'm like, what? Erase <laughs> that. What are you claiming? And I stopped like, oh, if I have the power of life and death in my tongue and I keep speaking life to this disease, then that's what I'm going to give life to. So I can't keep talking about a disease if I want to give life to my healing. If I want to claim my healing, I can't keep talking about the disease. Mm-hmm. So I don't. I'm a firm believer, regardless of what anybody believes, mm-hmm. there is definitely power in what you confess yes. out of your mouth and what you think, the thoughts you think, what you confess out of your mouth. We give that thing power, yes, whatever it is. Yes, so do. whatever you believe, I'm straight across the board, that's true to me. Yes. So I understand and I happen to be you know, a believer as well. And so I do fully understand everything that you're saying. So, but I know for everybody doesn't believe what we believe. So with that and respect to that, I do think it's power in self-affirmation and Mm -hmm. confessing things and being positive and speaking life and not death and harm. And so, yeah, no, that's, that's great. And, And that's encouragement because I know in that moment, you could have used that opportunity to be down and depressed Mm-hmm. to feel pity for yourself. I mean, a bunch of different things. And I don't know if oh, yeah. you had a quick moment where you felt that way, but the mere fact that you were able to kind of get through that yeah. and say, you know what, but no, I am going to be a conqueror. I'm going to conquer this. That's right. I'm going to stand firm on what I know. And so that is inspiring for anybody going through anything today, you know, because we're all going through something, right? We're either coming out of something, going through something. Right. And I'll be honest, I know that it wasn't just me. It was the prayers. It was the the, the, the oversight of my husband praying for me and speaking over me. It was my parents praying for me. So it was a village of people praying the for village. me. village, yes. The village. The village. When I was in that hospital, I didn't even know that my husband slept on the floor for a week while I was hospitalized. He only left one time and that's when my dad came. I had no idea. I found out a year later, literally, cause my mom was, yeah, my mother was, we were talking and my mother was like, oh, I know my son, glad he's not in the position he was in last year. I said, what are we talking about mama? She said, oh, my son is sleeping in his bed. I said, he's always sleeping. What are you talking about? He always sleeps in the bed. She was like, oh no baby. That week you were hospitalized, Cornelius stayed at that hospital. He actually slept on the floor. So wait a minute. He never spoke to you the whole time he was there? But here's the thing. I was, like I said, I was out of it. When they told me I was being admitted Mm -hmm. to me literally, like apparently a week later yelling, why am I here? Got it. His memory. So he I got you. I don't know. And so when I I get home, I got home. I was like, "Uh, excuse me, sir. Um, you slept on the floor of the hospital when I was there? He was like, yeah. Just as clearly as if I asked him his name was Cornelius. I was like, dude, hold on. 
We got good insurance. You got Blue Cross Blue Shield. They couldn't, <laughs> they couldn't bring you no cot or nothing. Nothing. A chair? Nothing. His exact words were, there was nothing they could put in the room that would allow me to lay what I needed to lay to keep my hands and cover you in prayer without them saying I was in the way. So I laid and did what I needed to do to say and do what I needed to do. So yeah. when I was asleep. He would sometimes sleep halfway under the bed because he's a bigger guy. So it's not like he could mm-hmm. just, he's not a thin guy. He would sleep half under the mm-hmm. bed, but his hand stayed on me the entire time. When I was awake, so he said he, and he was awake, he would stay at the head of the bed until the doctors came and then he would move on. He said he never left my side, except the one time when my father, the first man of my life that I loved, came there. It was like, they were like, okay, tag, I got it right quick. Hold right, on. tag me in. Tag me in. <laughs> and I know it is because he truly accepts his position as the head of the church and as loving me as Christ loves the church, my husband clearly defies that. That's awesome. And I know that and I rest in that. And I recognize that because that's how my father loves my mother. And so I grew up seeing that. So that's why I said I fully understand why my dad spoiled me so Mm. that I would be ready to receive the man that was worthy of doing the same to me, which is why he's doing it to his daughters. Amen. Amen. That that concludes this show. That is a great story. That is a wonderful story. And um, I just love to hear it. I've been blessed with awesome black men in my life that love me. And there is nothing like having that uh, that love, you know, to come from and everybody. And we know so many people that just really didn't have that. And it makes me sad. But it's a blessing to have had that. And that's awesome that you have that testimony. You have that uh, with your father. And then your husband came and just scooped you right up and continued that. And now he's doing the same for your babies. And that is is an amazing legacy. And being a wonderful example to his sons and the young men in our life. Absolutely. Our oldest son is married. And he's been married mm-hmm. for about four years. He's only 26. And when he approached us wow. about proposing, it wasn't because there was a pregnancy or anything like that. We were like, hold on, boo, you you ready to, hold on, you, you're only 21. <laughs> or He looked at me and he said, I see you and dad. I see grandma and granddad. Yeah. The word says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. So if I know that she's my good thing, why do I wait to start my fairy tale? I said, okay, young man, mm-hmm. what can we do now? <laughs> <laughs> that was me and that was that, you know, but, and that's what we see. We, our goal is for people to see God in us. Yeah. I, I could care less if I get the accolades, but if somebody gets closer to Jesus because they saw us, because they interacted with us, if they had a little bit of hope because we were involved in their life and through our involvement, they got to know Jesus. And we did so what we were supposed to do. We did what we were supposed to do. That's right. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you oh for sharing. Gosh, thank you. I so appreciate the opportunity to share. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing. I think it's a beautiful story. And I just love to hear more stories of Black families flourishing, loving on each other, operating in love and respect and unity. So I love to hear it. Thank you again. I appreciate it. And if you want, do, do you, do, did you mention something about your husband being a pastor or did no, you say my, something of like, oh, no, my dad is an apostle. My dad is an apostle okay. uh, with uh, Unshakable Faith Ministries. My husband, okay. oh, he's, he's the pastor of this house, you know, like I said, I he, he truly is the head of this household and loves me like Christ loves the church as much as he can in human form. So. Yeah. Well, well, share his information if people need plumbing, plumbing services, or does he? Oh, he works for he the works city. For the county. He works for the county. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I was about to say, well, we want to promote businesses. So if oh, I didn't know, I appreciate if he, that. No, I no, think no, that's, that's, okay. but, yeah, he works for mm-hmm. Cook County. So we kind of just <laughs> live our, our, our love to Tony Preckwinkle and the wonderful staff and departments of Cook County. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to today's show. Feel free to follow Faith Over Everything podcast on the following social media platforms. 
Faith Over Everything underscore podcast on Instagram, Faith Over Everything podcast on Facebook, and email is Faith Over Everything Podcast One at gmail.com. Don't forget to like, share, rate, and post. We appreciate the support.